0: Be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Ah, it's great to see you this morning, and we are just uh, glad that you're here. Grab your Bibles, your devices. Today, the book of Romans as was just read to you, Romans chapter 12, and just verses 1 and 2 today. Next week, as Matthew uh, just informed you that we start our new series in the book of Ephesians, and so I am super excited about that. But I wanted to talk to you about something, this being the first Sunday of the new year that we are back on campus. Now, I know that there's already been a Sunday that has transpired, but yet uh, back on campus together. And so I wanted to just take a moment to talk to you about something I think that is all on our mind as we begin 2023. And and so I want to talk to you about change for a moment. And you say, Mark, this is what we expected you to do today, right? Is to have that thing. And you're going to perhaps talk about resolutions and things like that. Well, no, I'm actually not going to do that. But I want to talk to you about two things that I am aware of. I think perhaps that that applies to most everybody in the room. And one is that that everybody wants some change in their life, right? Everybody wants some kind of change, but yet Very few people see that change transpire. And the second thing is this. I I know first, everybody wants change. Second is that we are all called to change. And and we know that by just the text that was written uh, by Paul in the book of Romans, read to you and I just a few moments ago. Because Paul says this to you and I, be transformed. He says to be transformed. And I so I thought, well, what is he talking about there for a moment? That is to be altered or converted or to actually be renovated by the renewal of your mind. Well, it's more than just thinking differently. And I think that's what we need to start with this morning. It's more than just you and I thinking different to start out this year together But when he talks about that of being transformed, he's talking about that of our inner man is exactly what he's talking about, that inward most nature of who we are. So he's talking about very deep change within our lives. So I begin to think, then how do we navigate this tension this morning? this tension about hey we all want some change in our life but we're not really good at that and then paul saying to us as being moved upon by the holy spirit hey you are called to change because that's part of your walk with god so we want to change right we're we're we, we we're called to change so where do we start you know where does this begin in my life and your life and so i want to start with something i discovered here In the book of Romans, chapter 12, in verses 1 and 2, I think it's something foundational for us in life because I know it's easy to start this journey and say, hey, I'm going to be a different person or I'm going to grow this year in God in a greater way. I'm going to do all these kinds of things. I know it's very easy for you and I to start the journey, but to see the journey through is a whole different matter, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a completely different matter. Because I think sometimes when we say, hey, I want to make some change in my life, then I think that, first of all, that statement is too vague, right? You know, you say, well, I want to make some change, and so I want to be in better shape. I want to be in better shape physically. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you just want to be able to touch your toes, right? Or does that mean that you want to be able to run a marathon? Because there's a difference between touching your toes and running a marathon. Isn't that correct? Yes. So I'm going to have you stand, and we're all going to practice that. No, I'm not going to ask you to do that, right? No. And I'm not going to show you whether I can or I can't in front of you. I'm not going to do that. So I think what we do and we say, I want to change it, they're very vague. And then I sometimes I think, well... When we say we want to change, also that it's extremely shallow in our lives. You know, I want to be a better person. Then my question to you is compared to who? Right. Yeah. And so what do we do? I want to be a better person. So you find the worst person that you absolutely know and you compare yourself to them and you feel really good about yourself and you think that something has changed within your life. So what's the rubric that we use to measure that change within our life? I want to be a better person. If it's always objective to those around us, is it really change at all? Right. Right. And for sometimes I think we say that we want to change, that the list is just too many. It's so endless that it's frustrating. Let me establish something as we begin today. It's this. Change, growth in our lives, is part of our Christian journey. It's part of our walk with God. Understand that. So it's not optional for us today. It's part of what we do in our walk with Christ. And if the Christian walk today is perceived as a task... If you perceive your journey with God is just an assignment, then we'll always seem very forced to you. And if the engine driving your walk with God is anything but pleasurable and delightful, then only the strong are going to survive. I think the easiest way to reach the human will, to capture for all eternity, is not duty. It's not serving God out of duty, but yet it's delight, Because I think when we hear this word change, we recognize it and growth as part of our journey with God. Then we say, well, this is my duty. I'm just going to push myself through this. I'm going to white knuckle my life through this. And I'm going to make this happen. And if that's the fuel that you're using today, duty and not delight, can I tell you something? That at some point, very soon, you're going to run out of gas. Amen? Yeah, it's going to happen. Sure. So, Mark, when you use the word delight, then you must be using a word that is defined differently than the way I define delight if you say that my journey with God has to be delightful. Can I take you to the book of Psalms, Psalm 37, verse 4, not on the screen this morning. So you might have to look at it on, in your Bible or on your device for a moment. But here is what the psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse 4. He starts out with the word delight. And I thought, what is he talking about? So I looked up the Hebrew word that he uses, and he uses delight. He uses, it's the term exquisite delight. And I thought, oh, it's it's more than just delightful, but it's an exquisite delight. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So the word that you're thinking about when you hear the word delight or delightful is the very same word that the psalmist uses. It's the very same idea that Paul is teaching to you and I today that your journey with God is driven by delight and not duty. Delightful. Wow. So you've met everyone around you, right? You're old friends right now. You've greeted each other. So turn to the person next to you and ask them real quick this question. So what are you running off of this morning, delight or duty? Ask them that for a moment, can you? And they look at you like you're crazy, right? Because they don't want to be honest. No, this is church. God might hear them in this building as if God can't hear us any other time. So I think the question does really warrant an answer for you and I. What are we running off of? And so I begin to think about this whole idea for a while. And as Paul finishes these two verses this morning that were read to us previously, he ends it with describing what our walk with God looks like. He does. He describes the will of God, what our walk with God looks like, and he says that our walk of God, our walk with God looks like something that is good, acceptable, and it's complete. And for many of you in the room, when you kind of look at your walk with God, you're thinking, well, my walk with God doesn't look good or acceptable or complete right now in my life. It's not an accurate description of where I am in my journey with God. And so I begin to think about, well, what do we do as a church and why does the church expend so much energy and effort to continually encourage you and prod you and motivate you to keep you growing and going with God if that journey is actually good, acceptable, and complete. Why, do, why does it cause, take that? Why do people have to be nudged into something that is not only good, but is absolutely perfect? Why? Well, Mark, you're the preacher. So you tell us why, right? Why? I'm going to tell you that in just a moment. Because if we're going to live the Christian life properly, then I think we have to have the right perspective upon it. And what Paul is going to tell us is how to keep our journey with Christ delightful and not just driven by duty within our lives. And Paul says, well, there's a key. But it's not automatic. You see, there's something that you and I have to do there's something that i'm called to do in this journey to make sure that it is delightful and not just driven by duty that i have a responsibility to do this but what i realize is what paul is teaching is it's going to renew our mind but yet there's a responsibility that i have as a believer but yet what this ha- what happens is it will continue to make things new in your life in Christ. It will continue to make it fresh. It will rejuvenate joy, awaken fresh hope in your life. You say, sign me up, right? That's exactly what I want. Boy, this is the sermon I've been looking for, right? This is like the sermon entitled Your Better Life or something like that, correct? And this is what I've been waiting for. Wait, hang on before you draw a whole lot of conclusion to this. So let me go back and read to you Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And I underline that part to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. So there's two thoughts this morning. The first is this Turn your mind consciously to the mercies of God. Turn your mind consciously to the mercies of God. He starts out with the word, therefore. And we know we know from past teachings that, well, we asked the question. What is the word therefore, therefore, right? And, and we know that there is purpose for that because what it does, it links the previous 11 chapters of the book of Romans with this in, ver, in chapter 12, verses one and two. And so it says to you, those verses and all of those writings prior to this they're very relevant to what he's talking about so you have to take all of those 11 chapters in in context in what Paul is teaching us this morning and he says this that the renewed mind comes from somewhere not nowhere that re, that the renewed mind comes from somewhere not nowhere. That it just doesn't happen on its own. That's the point. That something has to be done for order, in order for this to take place in my life and your life. And so what Paul does, he focuses in more tightly on what he has in mind for you and I and these things that he says I'm calling you to do. All these things in these 11 chapters prior to chapter 12, he said all these things I've called you to do, all those things about righteous living, all those things about living by grace and and faith alone and not by your works, all those things that I've called you to do, Understand this, that they just don't happen on their own, that they just don't run off of duty alone, that you got to have some fuel to feel all of those things and fulfill all of those those things. And that's what he's saying to you and I in verse 1 of chapter 12. He said the very fuel that you need to run off of in this life to make your walk with God delightful and not dutiful is that of the fuel of the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. He said, Mark, that's not what I expected you to say. But that's what Paul is saying. It's the mercy of God not just experiencing the mercy of God. No, no, because we all understand that in some way because you're here breathing by the mercy of God. It's it's not that you're just believing the mercy of God. We just finished Advent season together. And so, man, that is a season simply focused on the mercy of God and the incarnate Christ It's more than that this morning. Absolutely, it is. It's about your mind and how you saturate your mind in the mercies of God is what he's talking about. It's the truth of the abounding mercies of God toward you and I through his son Jesus is to our mind what like fuel is to your car this morning. You say, Mark, I-, I want some change, but I just want to lose some weight, you know, kind of deal, or I just want to stop smoking, or I, I just, I just want to be a-, a better husband or a better wife. And I'll, can I tell you all transformation in your life, all transformation, any change in your life is going to require a source of fuel. Realize that. So what is your spiritual journey running off of? Is it duty or delight? Because it's going to run off of one or the other. And which of those two fuels is sustainable for you to complete your journey with? I think is the huge question because that of duty is based upon you and your ability and your own will and your own strength. And that of delight is based upon the boundless mercies of God. And I realize that this discussion this morning has to ascend beyond just some ethereal idea, but something that you can wrap your mind around. You kind of sink your teeth into that. How does this really work in my life? Mark, you're telling me all of these things to do, but I want something that I can kind of put my arms around this morning and walk this out within my life. And I think it starts with the question, are we responding appropriately to the mercies of God because he's writing to people like you and I, Paul is. What do you mean people like us? It's what he says in the book of Romans chapter five, this time verse six. For while we were still weak, he says, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love that that thought that I don't need a savior, that I bring nothing to the table, that God found me with no attractiveness, with no potential at all. I was weak and I was unrighteous and I, I, I was good at nothing and nothing warranted anybody dying for me and I was hostile to God, yet God reconciles me. That is the abounding mercy of God and that is what we wash our minds in daily and that becomes the fuel in which you and I I serve God, and it makes our journey with God delightful and not just a duty. Amen. For a month now, I've been having voice issues, and you, some of you know that. And I said to myself that I would talk very quietly with you, but I'm going to tell you this morning, I have thrown that idea out the window, okay? Okay? Because I can't express this with the passion I think that needs to be expressed this morning to realize that you don't have to get up every morning and dread serving God. You don't have to get up every morning in 2023 and go through a list of all the things that you shouldn't be doing within your life. You don't have to simply get up today and say, I really wish I could change, but I know that I can't because it's just too painful for me to make that happen within my life on my own. And what Paul is teaching you and I today, it is the mercy of God as it saturates my mind and my soul every day that strengthens me, encourages me, and it gives me the fuel to run off in my life so that my my journey with God is a joy and a delight. The louder I get, the clearer my voice becomes. I don't understand. So hang on. And I, I I looked at this. This excited me over the past two weeks that I was reading through this, preparing for this morning. Because what I realized, if you want to renew your mind, change, then that change will require fuel. And the fuel you need is the mercy of God. What God has done for you in your life as it washes over your soul Daily because you're not going to run very long just on duty and what you think is required of you because that's your willpower and that's your sheer determination and that's not going to last you very long. So Mark, give me something that I can bite down on. Perfect. I will. It's from the Scripture. It's from the book of Luke chapter 7. And verse 37. And so it is a story, a narrative, and I want to give this to you this morning and and just let you sink your teeth into this for a minute about how we are to wash over our souls with the mercy of God. Let me read a few scriptures to you this morning. Luke chapter 7, verse 37, and it says this And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining, speaking of Jesus, At table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself... If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I've paused for a side note. I've always wondered how this Pharisee knows so much about this woman and what she does as a sinner. Come on now, that will preach. So we will move on. Yes. Yes. And Jesus answered... Now remember, the Pharisee has talked to himself. Point two, never talk to yourself around Jesus. He can read your thoughts, right? Yes. Another sermon within himself. And said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And so what does Jesus do? He responds with a parable... And he responds to Simon with a parable of the two that are in debt, one with 500 denarii in debt and the other with 50 to a creditor. The creditor realizes that both are unable to repay the debt, so the creditor, out of great mercy, what does he do? He simply forgives both of them of of their debt. And so Jesus asked the Pharisee, Then tell me, which one of them would love the former creditor more? Simon scratches his head, my thought, looks at Jesus and says, Well, I suppose it's the one whom he forgave more. Bing, winner. Lights go off. He wins the prize. And Jesus says to him, Simon, look at this woman. You invited me to dinner, yet... You never provided a basin for me to wash my feet. You never even provided a towel for me to dry them after I washed them. You never anointed my feet with anything, Simon. Yet look at this woman whom you called a sinner, a woman of the city. What has she done, Simon? She has washed my feet with her tears. She has dried them with her hair. She has simply taken very expensive ointment and anointed my feet today. She has done that. So she is greatly forgiven, and she does that for she loves much. And when I looked at this, I realized that Jesus uses this decidedly non-religious person to teach a very religious person, a great spiritual lesson. Never discount what God can do through people around you to teach you something as a believer, even if he uses unbelievers to teach you a lesson. And so he says to him, this sinful woman is moved to serve me, but you're not, and you are a Pharisee. It's the very reason that Paul gives us these texts in the book of Romans chapter 12. So let me talk about this for a moment. The Pharisee, and and many of you know this, but let me remind you, he's prompted by every religious system. He knows all the rules, knows all the regulations, has every one of them memorized, yet, yet, He's not drawn in any way by all of the information that he has or all the duty that he follows. He's not drawn to any devotion to Christ. But yet here's the sinful woman of the city. She doesn't know the rules. She doesn't know the regulations. She doesn't know even the religious duties of the Pharisee. Yet she is openly drawn to worship and to serve Jesus. Why? What's working in her life that's not working in the life of the religious Pharisee? That's what I want in my life. That's what I want. Because she understands that she is forgiven much, so she loves much. That is the point. That she understands that she's forgiven much, so she loves much. She's drawn, delighted to adore Christ. Because her mind and her heart has been saturated in the rich mercies of God. The mercies of God will motivate you far beyond your religious duty. Amen. Amen. And if you're running off duty alone this morning, then your relationship with Christ is not, it, it is not life giving, it is life exhausting. So, are you there? Are you there? Are you running off? You know, are you running on empty spiritually this morning? Is your form of theology and, and, and your form of orthodoxy or your form of religion, it's just not cutting it anymore that your heart is not stirred, that your spirit is no longer moved, and you sit here this morning and you blame everyone around you and everything for that place that you find yourself in, and you blame the church, and you blame me as a pastor, and, and you blame the music and you blame the, the green carpet. I don't like it either, but I'm thankful, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, not my idea. And, and you've been mistreated by others in the church or you've been misunderstood when you try to do wrong. And, and I know that most of you in this room, you believe in the mercies of God and I know most of you probably could recite that basic theology of the mercy of God. Most of you understand and agree the biblical premise that you are a sinner saved by grace. And I'm not challenging your belief system this morning. That's not what this discussion is about. But what I realize is those things with themselves carry no renewing power in your life. But how many times during your day? How many times when you are at work or how many times when you are at home or driving your car, you're sitting in line to pick up the kids from school or you're cleaning your house or mowing the lawn, how many times do you pause? How many times do you get purposely quiet and silent and still, and you take a moment to rewind your mind and you consider the mercies of God and what God has done in your life through His Son, Christ Jesus, how many times do you take yourself back in the middle of the day to the very feet of Jesus and you wash his feet with tears, and you simply dry them with the hair from your head, how many times do you take those moments to allow the mercies of God to wash over your soul? Amen. Because if you're not doing that, you are running off of empty. Empty. And you will become frustrated and you'll become fatigued and you'll become you, you'll become disillusioned in your walk with God. And at some point, you're going to want to give up if you are not daily washing your soul in the mercies of God and what God has done for you in your life. Well, Mark, I'm not the kind of guy or girl who would sit at the feet of Jesus and weep and, and dry his feet with my hair, then maybe Paul is saying to you, maybe you should consider becoming that kind of person. Right. I mean, when is the, the, the last time that you have shut out all the noise around you and all the clamor and all of the, the requirements and everybody pulling at you, but you have set apart apart yourself to just allow God's mercy and what he has done in your life to pour over your soul and to renovate and to renew and to rejuvenate so that you have the power to make the changes that God has called you to make within your life so that you're moving away from running off of just duty to that of delight. That you get up in the morning and you say, God, you are so good Lord, that, that I slept so well and I'm breathing this morning, God. And so, Lord, thank you for giving your son for me. And today I wash my soul in your mercy and I wash my soul in what you have done for me and empower me and let that be the fuel that I run off today, God. And let me find great delight in being a follower of you. I'm pausing to decide if I want to say the things that are coming to my mind right now. You know, have you ever been that way? Yeah? Do I do this or don't I do this? How regularly do you recall the mercies of God? Man, I grew up in church, you know, all my life not always been a Christian, but I grew up in church. And I can remember going to churches as a kid and looking around and thinking that this looks like the most miserable group of people I've ever seen in my life. That evidently before you come in, somewhere in this building They have a place where everybody sucks on lemons, you know, kind of thing, right? Before they come in, because everybody looks like they've been sucking on a lemon. And I would hear people say things like, well, I've got to do this for God in order for. And we've talked about that so many times, especially the book of Galatians, right? about how we spend a lifetime trying to earn something that God has already freely given us. And I witnessed all of this being done in the power of duty and not delight. Wow. And you know what I said to myself? Dude, if that's religion, then Mark don't want that, right? That's not what I want that I want something that brings delight to my life, that I get up every day and I am delightful in what I'm going to do for the God that I serve because I've washed my soul in the mercies of God. One last thought. The last point this morning is is this that the mercies of God are the antidote to the thing that most frequently wears us down as Christians. I believe that. It is. Because if soaking in the mercies of God renews us, then neglecting, neglecting God's mercies ages us. It wears us out before our time. Two things. Can I show you how simple life is? Two things. One is this we're called to renew our minds daily in the mercies of God. That's the first thing, that's the ultimate fuel of our life. It is to sit at his feet. I wrote in my journal this week, presence over proclamation, that it's more about where I am than just the things that I say. And then the second thing is that we're called to extend God's mercy to others. That I'm called to renew, renew my mind daily in the mercies of God. And the second thing is this, that I'm called to extend mercies to others. That's life. Simple. Done. Let's pray. Amen. It's over. That is life. So I thought about some things this week. And then I want to share with you a parable from the book of Luke, chapter 15. So when watching football this week, you know, I happened to stay on and begin to watch the, uh, the matchup between the Bengals and the Bills, the NFL matchup this week, and watched when DeMar Hamlin took that hit in the center of his chest that stopped his heart. And for perhaps close to 15 minutes, he lay on the field While medical professionals performed CPR to start his heart back. And I watched as a stadium of thousands and thousands of people were silent. As teams gathered on the field and they knelt and they began to pray. And what I realized is that life through a tragic moment was brought back to what is absolutely important. And that is God as our creator and kneeling before Him and realizing our ultimate dependency upon His mercy for us as humanity. Is life really that simple? Yes. And we continue to pray for Damar as he improves and the amazing things that God has done in taking this tragic event and used it in so many powerful ways. But I went back and thought about what Paul is saying to us, that we are to renew our minds daily in God's mercy and we're to help others marvel at God's mercy And anything out of that kind of existence for you and I, it's not life-giving. Don't fool yourself. It's life-exhausting. So in the book of Luke, chapter 15, Jesus gives perhaps one of the most known parables of all, and that is the parable of the prodigal. And if you don't know what that is, Well, first of all, if you don't know, man, I'm super glad that you're here to hear about this. But it's a parable. It's a story about a father and two sons. And the younger son comes to the father and just a quick version says that I want my inheritance. And so the dad gives him his inheritance and The younger son goes out and leaving the older son behind his brother and he squanders it. He just lives this crazy sinful life. And when he loses everything and finds himself with a bunch of pigs, he says, I think I'll go back to dad's house. And he goes back and his father greets him, kisses him, puts a robe on him, Puts some sandals on his feet, kills the fatted calf, has a party, and restores him. You see, Jesus could have told the story with two characters, and it would have still been so powerful, wouldn't it? The father and that one son. But Jesus decides to tell the story with three characters because there's obviously something intended for us there. That third character, the older, and now the obviously displeased brother because when the younger son comes back and he's restored, the older brother says, hey, I've been here all along, right? And I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I have been dutiful. I have... Crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's, Dad. I've worked every day for you. And yet you restore him after he has squandered his part of your fortune. Jesus puts that third character in there because we're meant to see ourselves. That's the point, that we are meant to see ourselves. Because the older brother not only fails to recount the mercy of the father on his behalf because everything that he has is due to the father. But he also fails to extend mercy toward his own brother. Here's what I want you to hear. That kind of lifestyle will drain you Of all your spiritual energy. It will leave you tired. It will leave you disillusioned. And it will leave you without any delight. so we all want change but none of us are really good at it and then here comes Paul along and he says hey part of your journey with God is change and transformation and so the question is for all of us in this room what's your fuel what is the fuel that you're running off of today? And you have to ask yourself, I think, a very piercing question, and that is, when is the last time that you have knelt before the Savior and you were so moved by his forgiveness in your life, that you washed his feet with your tears and you dried them with your hair and you held nothing back but the most expensive ointment that you have to anoint his feet with. Because if you're not there, on a very regular basis, you are running off of duty and not delight. And you will run out of fuel. So for a moment, can I pray with you and pray for you today? So if you take a posture, <clears throat> excuse me, a prayer, whether it's bowing your heads or closing your eyes or just sitting there quietly and allowing God to speak to you, Let me pray for you and with you this morning. Father, with two powerful verses, you have challenged us this morning to look at our life and to determine what is the fuel that we're running off of in this journey. Because, God, we were created to please you. And so, Father, there is something innate in all of us at some point to do that. Lord, that's why we deal with the conviction when we sin and displease you. And God, that thing can drive us sometimes in a different direction than delight and drive us by duty. So Father, what is the fuel that we're using this morning? So Lord, in the next few moments, as we are here before you quietly, and intentionally God let this be a moment that we allow your mercy to flow over our souls and our minds and our hearts that God that we are no different than the woman of the city Maybe our sins are different, but yet we're sinners. And yet, how many moments recently have we taken to kneel at your feet? To be moved so powerfully by what you have done for us, God, that we are moved to tears. Because, God, we don't have to know all the rules to do that. We don't have to know all the regulations. All we have to do is begin to recount what you have done for us. So, God, let your mercy Wash over our minds and our hearts today. And let this be a place and a moment that we are energized. And our relationship with you is marked by delight. So, Father, we present ourselves by the mercies of God today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. So, would you just sitting there for a moment? Could you just sit there and let the mercies of God flow over you? a moment recount all the goodness of God in your life and how rotten you were when he found you and let that flow over your soul Let us be too quick to get up from your feet. Never let us substitute proclamation for presence. Never let us discount these moments with you. Let this be the thing in our lives. that transitions our relationship with you, God, from being life-exhausting to life-giving. Thank you, Father, that you found us as enemies and you transformed us into children. Thank you, Father.